Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. All right, welcome to SACPAW. My name's Courtney Rieger. I'll be moderating today. Please be advised that this session is being recorded. And just a reminder to turn your phones on silent or turn them off. For lunch, just leave $11 in the basket there and we'll check on that. SACPAW is a nonprofit volunteer run organization in its 48th season, and contributions by members and meeting attendees helps cover expenses. Memberships can be purchased through Annalise Van Ors over here. And a special thanks to SACPAW's partners, UofL for support and distribution of notices, Country Kitchen Catering for great lunches, as well as CKXU 88.3 FM radio and the Lethbridge Herald. The outline of today's session is as follows. We'll have 25 to 30 minutes for each presenter and lunch, and then a question period at 1 o'clock. We should be finishing around 1.30. We have two speakers today. Our first speaker will be Tim Wise. He's the Alberta Regional Director at the Canadian Wind Energy Association. And our second speaker is Rob Harlan. He's the Executive Director of the Solar Energy Society of Alberta. Let's give him a warm welcome. Great. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, my name is uh, Tim Wise. I'm the regional director for the uh, Canadian Wind Energy Association and really appreciate the chance to be here and to discuss uh, uh, some opportunities and some exciting um, advances in wind energy. Uh, and as we all know how windy southern Alberta is, what the potential it is uh, for this part of the province. Uh, so I've only got uh, 15 minutes to kind of go through a lot of material and, uh, and I've, I've got a bunch of uh, f uh, graphs as well. So if for anyone listening in, this might be uh, maybe a few things that are challenging to, uh, to follow, but I'll, I'll do my best to, to, to describe them. So um, just wanted to quickly introduce the Wind Energy Association, who we are. Uh, we represent uh, uh, developers, manufacturers, uh, uh, people who own and operate wind farms uh, across Canada. And uh, been operated. this is our 30th year as an association. Uh, in that time, really in the last 10 years, we've seen uh, a really significant growth in wind energy across Canada. In fact, there's wind energy projects operating now in every, uh, every province uh, across, across Canada and every territory except for, for Nunavut. Uh, and you can just see uh, just how quickly sort of the industry has been able to grow or how quickly uh, wind energy has grown in Canada. Uh, in uh, just 10 years ago, in 2000, 2003, we had about 300 megawatts of capacity installed in the, in the country. This year we're closing in. We'll be at 10,000 uh, by the end of uh, the calendar year. So pretty, pretty rapid growth, and I think that's uh, an, exciting, uh, an exciting thing for being able to develop clean energy at a, at a pretty quick pace. So just a quick background on myself, uh, just so you know kind of where I come from and what my, my interests and biases are. Uh, obviously, I'm with the Wind Energy Association, so I'm here to talk to you about wind. Um, but uh, my background uh, is in mechanical engineering, uh, and uh, I did research. Uh, so I came to Alberta to do research originally on looking at wind in the high Arctic and how you implement wind energy and, and actually off-grid remote communities and some of the challenges in, in the far north and helping to get communities off their reliance on diesel fuel. And so that's kind of, that's the background where I originally come from. 
Uh, I also I've got a disclaimer there. I like graphs, uh, and so I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, sharing a bunch of data with you. Uh, and so, so sorry if it's hard to read, but I I want to make sure that I'm presenting you with uh, with, with the data that, that's sort of behind what I'm saying. Um, so I'm just going to quickly go over uh, in, the introduction, which I just did. Uh, it really kind of the context why why this is of interest and why this is important in Alberta and really sort of I think the, the, there's two key drivers for looking at changing our electricity system uh, and, and one is going to be greenhouse gas emissions and the other is going to be diversity of where we actually get our electricity from and then why is wind energy an important part uh, of, of solving both of those problems obviously not the only solution but an important part of it so where does our current electricity supply come from in the province. Uh, this is data from the Alberta Electric System Operator. Last year, uh, just about, about two-thirds of the power uh, in the, on, sold on the electricity market uh, came from coal. Uh, and about another 20% came from uh, natural gas, uh, different forms of, uh, of it, whether it's cogeneration or, or um, other types of natural gas-fired uh, facilities. So we're at about, right now, we're at about 10% of our system is renewable, and the another 90% uh, is reliant on natural gas, or on, on fossil fuels. And so I think you know the overarching issue that we're going to be looking at going forward is going to, is going to be greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and 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 the the most recent report, the most recent scientific uh, literature was released just this Sunday, uh, updating sort of just you know unfortunately sort of uh, that the science is getting more and more sure on, on climate change and that we're headed faster and faster in the wrong direction. And that we really need to be uh, moving much more quickly to solve this problem. Uh, and you're seeing you know you're seeing. Uh, groups all the way from the Pentagon, uh, which I've got listed here, saying what a risk climate change is going to be to the overall uh, security of, of uh, global security. And th they, this report was pretty direct in sort of saying that we really need to be rapidly phasing ourselves off of fossil fuels. And I think that has some pretty significant implications potentially for where, uh, for Alberta uh, and, and where our market is and where, um, uh, you know, where we're, where we're positioning our economy. I think all too often we sort of talk about climate change or we hear about climate change sort of in the context of um, impacts on, you know, polar bears or melting ice caps. But I think we need to remember that this is ultimately a human problem uh, and it's going to have really significant human impacts, uh, whether that's you're seeing the drought in California uh, uh, or what that's going to mean for long-term food supply, what that's going to mean for long-term uh, uh, farming opportunities. Uh, and so I think... Uh, there, there's going to be a real human face to, to climate change that I think we need to be wrapping our heads around uh, more so than thinking about this kind of as an abstract problem of, of melting ice caps. Uh, and, you know, Christine Lagarde from the, the International Monetary Fund is suggesting that climate change is going to be the, the single greatest economic challenge of the coming century. And so this is... Um, not to be, not to put you know too to a too negative a spin on this, but the point is this really is a major challenge that we're going to, need to be facing. It's going to be a, a major issue that need to be we need to be addressing uh, in terms of our overall energy strategy going forward. So where do our emissions come from in Alberta? I, I know this is a bit of a, a tricky a tricky graph to read here, but uh, what, one thing that's important to note is that the top two largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions in the province. Uh, oil sands is number one, but electricity generation is number two, and right now almost equivalent to oil sands emissions. So there's a lot of focus that gets put on oil sands, but we also have a big problem on the electricity side that we need to be dealing with, and that is because of our heavy reliance uh, on coal in the province. The other, the other reality that we're facing is we're looking at very significant electricity demand growth in the province, and a lot of that is driven by expansion of the oil sands and expansion of the industrial sector, but what that means is we have... Uh, uh, a lot of emissions coming from the electricity sector already, and we're looking at almost doubling our, where, our demand for electricity. 
So the challenge, the challenge that you can see here, and I know this is a really hard graph to read, but the point that the the, the point that I want to pull out here is if you look at the orange, um, the, the orange data, this is a market forecast of where our electricity source is coming from sort of over the next uh, 30 to 40 years. And you can see that the good news is that the coal, which is the blue at the bottom there, the coal is sort of slowly being phased out sort of over the next 30 to 40 years. We'll see a gradual decline in coal all the way down to zero by 2062. Uh, so not overnight, but uh, slowly moving in that direction, which is good. Um, but the challenge that we're up against is that the vast majority of the replacement of coal as well as filling the gap for demand is going to be, the market forecast right now is, is uh, to largely fill that with natural gas. Uh, and so there, there's good news and bad news in there. Obviously, natural gas prices are much lower now than they were in the past. But at the same time, natural gas is still a fossil fuel, uh, and it still uh, has had price volatility in the past that it may in the future. Uh, and so if we're going to move our electricity system to sort of an 80% natural gas system, which is the forecast right now, there's some inherent risks that, that come along with doing that. And it also means that overall our system is, is basically 50 years from now, or sorry, 20 years from now, isn't any more renewable uh, than it is today. It's about moving from about 10% renewable to 11% renewable. So obviously we're switching a lot of coal to natural gas, which is a good thing, but at the same time, uh, overall, the system isn't, it, we're, we're going to be remaining heavily, the forecast is to remain heavily dependent on fossil fuels for the next, uh, for the foreseeable future. So what does that mean in terms of what I was talking about climate change in, in, uh, to start off? And the, the reality is, as you can see, uh, as we start to phase out some of the coal plants over the next 10 to 20 years, um, which again is, is, is a positive, you're going to see, even though we're seeing emissions uh, or overall demand growth, you're seeing the emissions um, stabilize more or less and then actually sort of a downtick around 2030 as some of the big coal plants come offline and so that's that's good the bad news is that as we continue to switch to natural gas and build up more and more and more and and, and grow the overall system is that our emissions actually move start to head back up so the, the the gains we make by phasing out coal ultimately get get overtaken by switching entirely to natural gas um, and so there's I guess there's good news and there's bad news in there but the fact of the matter is is in the long term our emissions are headed in the wrong direction. So that's that's the negative way to start <laughs> to start the discussion this morning or this afternoon. But uh, the good news, I guess, is is that we do have alternatives. That, that that's not the only scenario that's possible, and and that wind energy is one of the options uh, that can help bend that curve and to help make significant uh, changes to that overall uh, outlook. And and so why why is wind energy an important opportunity for us? And I think obviously. You know, living here in, as you know, in southern Alberta, there's, there's lots of wind, so there's no shortage of resource. Uh, you can see this is a map that we recently did uh, looking at what the, the potential is uh, for wind energy projects in the province. Uh, and, and this isn't a news to you, but, uh, you know, the south of the province, which is the blue there, has got uh, uh, fantastic, fantastically economical um, wind energy options. But I think what was surprising was anywhere you see where it's red there on that graph, which is basically from... Uh, Edmonton and south, Edmonton to Calgary, sort of, and sort of the southeastern corner of the province. Anything that's red there is actually economic for wind energy development today with the modern technology that we have. And that's probably different than, than it was even uh, five and six years ago. There's been really big advances in wind energy technology. The costs have come down. So what that means is that there's actually a, a huge economic potential uh, uh, for, um, for clean energy resources like wind. So the point of all this, and I'm not saying I'm not saying we're going to do this, but from a theoretical point of view, we could there's enough wind in Alberta you could run the province and 100% on wind if you wanted to. I'm not saying we're going to, but the point is the resource is, is theoretically there. 
So, so why 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 do we talk about wind? Uh, well, the good news is that wind actually works. This is a technology that we know we actually have a solid track record of. Uh, as I said, you can see the growth we've seen in the last 10 years. But this isn't just at marginal amounts of, of, uh, of overall supply. You can see these are the top 10 United States of how much of their annual electricity comes from wind energy. Iowa is closing in at 30% of their annual supply of, from wind. Uh, South Dakota is at over a quarter. Kansas is closing in on a fifth of their power coming just from the wind. So we don't need to be thinking about this sort of in really marginal terms. But we can think about this at a, at a big, big scale. Texas is closing in at 10%. Um, and I know the graph on, on, the, on that side is, or the, the, the picture on, the, on your right-hand side is hard to read because it's out of focus and in Spanish. But, but, but what it says is, uh, take my word for it, uh, is that this was in 2009, that they had 53% of the entire country of Spain running just on the wind. Obviously, it's a windy day. That doesn't happen every day. But the point is you can do it at a national scale, 50% of the country running just on the wind. So we can think about this kind of, the point is we can think about this at large scale and not just kind of along the margins. This is actual data from Germany. Uh, the blue is the wind, the yellow is solar. That's the entire country of Germany, the sixth largest electricity system on the planet. Um, you can see that you know, at the peak when it was a particularly windy and a particularly sunny day, again, over 50% of the energy in the, on, on that market coming from wind and solar. So we can't, the point I'm trying to make here is we can think about this at large scale. It, it is possible and it's being done. So can we do that in Alberta? Um, obviously, we, have, we do have jurisdictions around the world that are doing this. Uh, we, we, we commissioned General Electric, GE, uh, to do a study for us in Alberta. What would be possible? Could we actually be shrinking our emissions? And they found that if we were to move our system from that business-as-usual scenario, which I presented earlier, to about a 30% renewable scenario, uh, even just over the next 10 years, we could actually shrink, we could be shrinking our greenhouse gas emissions from our electricity sector by about one-third over the next 10 years. So it is possible. We have the resource here to pull it off. Uh, I know I'm just about out of time, uh, so I'm, I'll just really blast through this real quick. But I just, the one thing I do want to highlight, though, is that the reason, the reason this is sort of an exciting time to talk about wind, and, and you'll hear from Rob about solar momentarily, is that uh, wind is kind of a success story in a technology that people, you know, that hippies sort of started out thinking this was going to be a, a great idea in the future, but it's kind of, it, it's made it in a sense. Uh, this, is, this is the Alberta Independent Electric System Operators data that they just put out in May. You can see that they've got there as wind is the second lowest cost option for any new supply uh, in the province. Um, and that's, and you know, the only thing that, that beats it is, is a new natural gas plant, and it's only by about 6 or 7%. Uh, and there's obviously no fuel cost for wind, and so there's no volatility. You can guarantee that price over 20 years. The natural gas plant, there may be some variability in there. So the point I want to make is that you know, we, we have come a long way, and the technology actually now is cost competitive. And the costs have really come down. You're going to hear from Rob about the success of solar and bringing costs down, uh, but you can see that the wind energy costs are actually coming down, uh, are also continuing to come down. The technology is continuing to improve. And so... I guess the point I want to leave you with is that this, this is a good news story. Uh, we've actually made really significant gains, and we can do this at, at large scale. And I'll leave, you with the, I'll leave you with a quote from Denmark and sort of where Denmark is headed. They've passed legislation recently to be 52% wind by the year 2020, with a goal of being 100% renewable by 2035. Uh, and they're actually debating whether they move that target up to 2030 to be 100% off fossil fuels for the electricity system. And the vote was 171 for and eight against. Uh, and so let me, let me just read you the conclusion from the energy minister in Denmark that said, the conclusion, this is after the vote was taken, the conclusion being, 
that it has a cost to be, make a green transformation, but it also has a cost not to do so. And I think this will work out to be the best insurance policy that Denmark has ever bought. Thanks. I'll hand it over to Rob now. Hello everyone, my name is Rob Harlan. Thank you for inviting me here. Um, I'd like to talk about solar energy, a subject dear to my heart. Um, I work for the Solar Energy Society of Alberta, which is a nonprofit that's been in existence in Alberta for actually 39 years, believe it or not. Um, and we do education programs, classes, workshops. We have a wonderful website that has a lot of resources if you're interested in getting more information about Solar energy in Alberta, there's a lot there for you, including a list of contractors and pictures of systems installed all over Alberta. So um, this statement just came out by the International Energy Agency. The sun could be the world's largest source of electricity by 2050, ahead of fossil fuels, wind, hydro, nuclear, according to a pair of reports issued by the International Energy Agency. So the world is very rapidly embracing these technologies. A lot of it has to do with uh, cost at this point. Uh, a lot of it has to do with various jurisdictions taking the climate change issues and the environmental issues seriously. Um, we, as you will see, we have tremendous potential here in Alberta to step up to that game. Uh, if you look at what's happening on a global level, it's only increasing and probably will only increase. Um, and what's interesting there at the bottom, we've got, uh, if you look at the investments in renewable energy electricity in 2013, they're almost equal to the investments in fossil fuel electricity, that being natural gas and oil, um, on a worldwide basis. So probably within the next couple of years, they will supersede that. So we're going through a tremendous transformation uh, on a global level. Um, part of what's driven the uh, adoption of photovoltaics, which photovoltaics is solar electricity, um, is the uh, price drops for equipment, and that's primarily been because of economy of scale as the industry grows uh, so quickly. So in the last, um, uh, since 2008, uh, there's been an 83% drop in the cost of the actual modules themselves, the panels themselves. The installation cost isn't dropping quite as fast because there's other costs that are more fixed in an installation, labor costs, permit costs, etc. But uh, there's also a lot of attempts to reduce those costs, and, and that's where government can help, actually, um, reducing permit costs, reducing identifying barriers, reducing um, some of the disincentives that are out there, and also educating the public. So... There's strong reasons to take all this seriously uh, in Alberta. Um, for one thing, um, solar has a, renewables have a significant social license, and Lord knows we could use that. Um, we, uh, we also do need to take seriously, as Jim, uh, Tim's been pointing out, our greenhouse gas emissions, and solar is a wonderful way to do that. Um, and also we really need to look at our infrastructure with a, a electric, electrical demand growth of 3% per year projected, uh, we will really need to look at our whole, how we're doing electricity. So, and this graph shows you that if you look at all the provinces in Canada, in terms of electricity, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, Alberta is right up there at about 50% uh, for the whole province. And this is not oil sands we're talking about. This is uh, 
this is us <laughs> through our electricity consumption. So, um, what's happening in Alberta? Well, same type of graph, just going up there. The number of photovoltaic sites is increasing. The total capacity is increasing. The uh, size of the specific sites are increasing at a fairly rapid rate. Um, we publish on our website an odometer, we call it. We keep track of the number of uh, systems that are going in in Alberta and the greenhouse gas emission ramifications of that. Uh, this came from two days ago. I just clipped it off the web. So we have just over a 1,000 grid-tied photovoltaic systems in Alberta. So it doesn't count the off-grid. The off-grid are the ones with the batteries, the, the cabins in the woods kind of thing. But in terms of utility energy systems, we were just over 1,000, which, which is equivalent of basically 5 megawatts of generating capacity. So to put that into perspective, 5 megawatts of generating capacity is about 3 one-hundredths of a percent of the total generating capacity in Alberta. So we've got a lot of room to move in that respect. So here we are in Lethbridge, and this is a hot spot. So... Um, if you look at the map of Canada, there's only a few choice areas that actually have this degree of a solar resource. And they're right down in this corner here. So um, we're quite lucky in that respect. And um, if you look at what's happening worldwide and compare our resource with the world, uh, well, there's two graphs here. Let me show you this one on the left first. It shows an uh, installed capacity in terms of gigawatts by country. And just to show you how fast this is moving, this was from early 2013. Uh, China, for example, has 8 gigawatts. Well, in 2013, they actually installed 12. So they went from 8 to 12, 8 to 20 in one year. Um, and China isn't alone moving quickly with this. So things are moving incredibly fast. So if you look at the, the data on the right... What we're looking at there is some information from Natural Resources Canada. Uh, they've got a great website uh, with solar statistics. And if you look at the different countries in the world and what they're actually producing, what they're capable of producing, and the way they figured this out is you take 1,000 watts of solar modules, which is maybe four solar modules, and if you were to put those on the roof of all of these different cities, in the world, so the same system, so we're comparing all of them the same. Um, and I've picked these countries because they're the larger, uh, they, have, they have a lot of solar installed capacity in them. Um, if you put them on the roof, this is what you would get for every watt of, of that array. For every watt in Germany, you'd get almost a kilowatt hour a year. We all know what a kilowatt hour is, right? Our, our monthly bill might be 600 kilowatt hours, right? So in Germany, one watt of solar gives you almost uh, uh, a kilowatt per year, okay? And you can look at the other countries, but look at Lethbridge here. This is the Enercan data for this part of the world. It surpasses Rome, Italy, uh, surpasses Germany, which has the most capacity in the world by far. Part of the reason we're doing so well here is not only is it fairly sunny uh, and clear, but um, photovoltaics actually like it cold. They increase in efficiency as temperature drops. 0.38% um, increase in efficiency per degree centigrade drop in temperature. So we have ambient cool temperatures here. 
the photovoltaics perform better than they will on a hot roof in Texas, for example. So that's in our favor, and that helps skew those figures toward Lethbridge being such a great site. As we look at solar being developed, there are various ways it can be developed. It can be developed um, on a distributed generation level, which means everybody in this room has a system on their house or their farm, so all over the place. Um, or it can also be developed uh, with using the same model we already have, which is a centralized large plant generating electricity and sending it out to multiple customers over long distances. So the solar version of that would be a big solar farm. Okay, So both those can be developed. You can have big solar farms, and you can have distributed generation among smaller parties. Um, there's a lot of advantages to the distributed generation, which I think you can imagine, some of them being less line losses because your usage is close to your uh, production. Um, it's inherently democratic when a whole lot of people have solar systems and are producing their own power. In Germany, 15 years ago, they had four companies producing their electric power. Today, they have 1.2 million companies producing electric power. And there are people like you and I, as you can see from this, they're farmers. and So they've really been able to develop that quite well. And that's a very secure energy production facility at that point. It's terror-proof, if you might want to, terrorist-proof. I want to run through very quickly um, Alberta's billing system, because it can be really hard to understand. I'm going to give a crack at it. Maybe Tim can back me up if I stumble. So in the solar world, we talk about net metering, and that's the way most of the parts of the United States operate. If you put in a solar system, you have one meter, you buy electricity, it runs it one way, and then you sell electricity, it runs it the other way. You're paid the same for what you sell as what you buy. And at the end of the month, they read your meter and give you a net reading. And it, it gives you essentially credit for what you've sold, and they're equal. In Alberta, it's not quite that. We have net billing here, which means you buy at a certain rate and you sell at your retail rate. So if you guys have like a contract with NMAX, say, or something like that, you probably pay maybe seven and a half, eight cents, eight and a half cents on a contract basis. That's your retail rate. Your actual kilowatt hour rate that you pay is going to be more than that because they're distribution charges and retail charges. But so what the under the microgeneration law in Alberta, they will pay they're required to pay the retail rate back to you. So you're going to get eight and a half cents if that's what your contract is, right? So if you sell, if you have excess, you sell, you get eight and a half cents or based on your contract. But also, suppose you generate electricity and you use it before it goes out through your meter. It's worth more in Alberta. It's actually worth about 14 and a half cents. That's because you don't have to pay some of the distribution charges, et cetera. You're avoiding all of that. So it does matter what, how much you use yourself. So if one were to ask, okay, what do I get for a kilowatt hour of electricity uh, that my solar system generates so I can figure out the economics of it, um, the answer would be it depends on your ratio of how much you use and how much you sell. So if you export 100% of it, like we talked about, you just get the retail rate, which is 8.5 cents. If you export 50% of it, you'll get 11.5 cents. If you export um, none of it and use it all, 
then you get 14 and a half cents. Okay, and so um, we've attempted to put an average out there so people can use something to do their calculations with, and it's about 12 cents a kilowatt hour that you get is the value you get for solar electricity if you consider both the export and the self-use figure, and that's about 60% in-house use, 40% export. I'm getting the signal. This is a, um, a graph I want to try to interpret very quickly. Um, basically, in Alberta, electricity is paid um, through the power pool. And the power pool cha price changes constantly. And if there's a peak demand situation in Alberta, it goes way up. might be a dollar a kilowatt hour. If it's at night, it may drop down to a few pennies a kilowatt hour. <clears throat> when you produce electricity, has a... Uh, a bearing on what you're going to get for your electricity. So the thing about solar is it produces during the day, as we all know. Most people use electricity during the day and not at night. So electric prices are raised during the day and they drop at night. So what this means is that solar actually, in terms of if you look at a pure market value, in terms of time of use, solar actually in 2013 uh, deserved a price of 14.9 cents a kilowatt hour because it was producing when the prices were highest in the Alberta marketplace. The power pool pricing at the time was nine and a half cents. So there was a big discrepancy there between what it's actually getting and what it actually deserves, which is a basis for looking at government intervention and saying, okay, we'll pay you guys what you deserve, right? And that discrepancy between the two is only increasing, it's only, especially as air conditioning comes into more effect. So. What's the true market value of solar electricity in Alberta? Um, there's four things to consider. One is time of generation, which we just talked about. And in this case, we're going to give it a figure of 13 and a half cents. Another is location of generation, because there's line loss through the lines. So you're saving there. It's half a cent. Another is price certainty, because fuel prices don't go up with the sun. 3.6 uh, cents. And the th uh, last is there's a low environmental impact. There's about a, you can put a price on carbon of about a cent per kilowatt hour, and you can put a price on the health ramifications of coal, which is about 1.1 cents per kilowatt hour. So if you add all that up, you get almost 20 cents a kilowatt hour, which is really represents the true market uh, price of solar if all the costs were internalized in the system. So with that, I'd like to leave you. Thank you for listening to us. <laughs>